Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt. Welcome to another episode. We are so excited to bring you our season finale for season two. So in this season, we've talked about love and relationships, and and we've looked at it in lots of different senses of the word love, talking about love for the NBA as fans, love for the game that a player has that motivates them to spend their career and life, uh, you know, pursuing that that entertainment and that sport. Uh, The relationships between players and their coaches or their teammates or their organizations then we got to have some great guest interviews. We're so grateful to have our friends and family join us to talk about love and, and think through the concept of love and what it feels like to, to love others. And so for the season finale, we want to talk a little bit about what motivated us to, to embrace this topic for this season and uh, deal with the questions that come out of that kind of overlying question. So I just want to uh, give you a chance, Anthony, what have you thought about the season so far? Um, the basketball season or the podcast season? <laughs> podcast season, but go for it if you feel like you <laughs> want to interject the uh, basketball thing. Here. Um, I've actually been, um, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because uh, that kind of instills like a certain expectation, but I definitely was thrilled with the outcomes beyond what I could have imagined. Like when we started. Uh, we had talked about, you know, ways to integrate guests into the show and um, like we wanted to do it in a way that utilized everyone's expertise. But the, to me, the question of like, what is love is something that literally everybody has some expertise with. Like, even if you live a life devout, devoid of love, right? You, that means that you have some expertise with that feeling. Like it's an mm. absence of, or, you know, and so like, I think, hearing from everybody that was the one thing that also captured me was people being nervous like to be interviewed in that context and but the whole point is like you're an expert in your own sense of love right this is a very perspective driven question and it's more important that you capture we capture your perspective than it is that that we capture like whatever you think is some general observation of love And uh, so from that regard, it was awesome to hear so many different perspectives and so many people articulate what love is to them in different ways. I don't think uh, any two people said the same thing about love. They might have expressed similar sentiments, but because it was so perspective driven, right? Even if some two people talked about responsibilities, they were talking about it from two different perspectives. Agreed. It's been quite an enjoyable journey, and I really love engaging other people and getting their their genuine reflections on their experiences and and uh, how it gener- how it motivates the way they think about things in the world. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we chose this theme um, was was pretty selfish on my part. I appreciate you kind of prompting us to to do this. Uh, you and I had been having conversations during our time off between seasons, talking about the political climate in the world and the conflict that we were sensing on social media and just everybody's angry at everybody and the sense of tribalism and maybe hopelessness about how can we ever overcome the polarization in, in civic discourse. And I was feeling pretty just deflated <laughs> in general about the possibility of, of positive human connection again. 
so in a space of kind of frustration and, and darkness, uh, I asked, you know, what can we even do to overcome conflict in society? And it led us to talk about conflict in our interpersonal relationships, what's successful and not successful in those relationships. So I've been grateful for this opportunity to examine maybe the goal of a positive relationship with others uh, when we talk about love, and then seeing if we learned any lessons from these interviews that might help us tackle this larger question about conflict in society. Yeah, the uh, the question of conflict, uh, just in general, I guess I was, when we first started talking about this, you know, like you mentioned the political climate, it felt very much like um, people get kind of stuck in such close, closely thinking communities that they forget how to engage with people who don't exist in those communities. And uh, so like I spent a lot of time struggling with the idea of like, if somebody thinks different from me, how can I engage them in any meaningful way? Right. I don't want to go about my daily life where if I just hear that you think different from me that I'm, I'm going to shut you off because that, I mean, at least to me, that feels counter to my own upbringing. It feels counter to my own current way of thinking, which is that everybody has something um, to gain and every, everybody has something to contribute. And uh, so, you know, especially acting in online spaces mm-hmm. uh, is where it was most challenging. I essentially completely disengaged from Facebook except to, check in on you every once in a while, even though, you know, we talk, (laughs) we talk nearly daily uh, outside of Facebook, (laughs) but like, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, Facebook has become such a toxic space, at least for me. And that's, you know, partially uh, an AI's fault and partially my own curated fault, right? I curated the things that I wanted to see on Facebook and um, talking with friends and family, I realized like everybody has differences, opinions in some way, shape or form. And it's not fair for me to only engage people in things that I'm comfortable with when there might be things that they want to engage in that they're comfortable with that I'm just not engaging on. And of course, uh, when you get to a certain point, maybe things do become toxic. And that's where like that, how do you manage the conflict in a healthy mm-hmm. way becomes important. And so as we started talking more and more about the the spheres of influence, I just kept thinking, I wonder if there's any like fundamental thing that would allow us to engage people no matter what their what their sphere of community is. That's kind of how at least I started getting on this t- tangent. Yeah, I know that's interesting. And the kind of where I was at psychologically, I was feeling heartbroken on both both sides right when i was engaging with people that i knew that i didn't agree with i didn't know how to engage them where it didn't feel like i was attacking them you know even if i wanted to engage them critically and and thoughtfully on on our positions um because i'm interested in in the truth and and in relationship and and i want something like a connection on something genuine um it felt like to disagree itself was somehow a personal attack. And so I didn't feel like I could engage respectfully with people I disagreed with, which meant that I was basically then stuck relating with people that I agreed with. But then I don't like tribalism. I'm extremely uncomfortable with that. I'm the, I'm the person that 
if I'm at a concert or in a large arena, I, I get very uncomfortable when everybody is all cheering together. Uh, and so just to hear the same points of view repeated and, and uh, kind of the go team spirit of tribalism made me feel like an outsider, even when I agreed with the positions. And so it was a very isolating kind of experience on both both sides. When when there's conflict, uh, I like to bury my head in the sand because I don't I don't um, want to really be that that stick in the mud for everybody else. So it was uh, it was getting to be an uncomfortable position. And I think this conversation, uh, this series about love and thinking about what it is that we want out of relationships and, and what we're trying to do uh, to meet maybe a, an essential need. I think we can, can characterize love as a essential need for social creatures. Uh, it's been a really fruitful conversation for me, and I'm in a much better headspace a few months later. I also want to add that the uh, the introduction of these concepts through basketball I found really interesting because uh, initially we were talking about it from a, a societal point of view, right? It's like talking, having conversations about that things that are important to us with friends, with family, with neighbors, with coworkers, with, you know, your people in your city, uh, people in your country, that kind of thing. Uh, but then we started bringing in like the narratives of, how this stuff plays out in basketball. And I hadn't made those connections before. And once we started getting into it, uh, this, you know, we, we kind of alluded to this. I, I guess we did a whole episode on that last season uh, <laughs> when we broke down the four pillars of uh, Chinese communities. Right. Mm. And uh, you know, the player relationships, I think allowed us to, to kind of come up with the questions for the interviews like we sort of had the questions before and during we filmed those episodes but once we started getting into like how player player relationships affect each other how player coach relationships affect each other fan player relationships fan game relationships there were just so many dimensions to this that i was like okay this is so nuanced i think i can take a step back now and not feel so tethered to any single idea and at least that helped me um, kind of grow my own perspectives throughout the process as well. That's a really good point. I do feel like taking a step back and looking at it almost as a conceptual intellectual exercise stripped me of the of the investment and fear that I was experiencing, you know, existentially in my daily life, so that we, you know, could have a conversation about it and maybe learn something. So what are some of the things that we learned in our interviews? Uh, I know that uh, some of the things that stuck out for me were things like uh, risk and trust. Uh, a loving relationship involves like taking the risk and trusting someone to to be careful with that risk that you're taking. Uh, another concept was respect for others and a concern for others' interests and well-being. Uh, we heard things like responsibility, as you've already mentioned, and, and that took several different shapes. But th- there were a lot of really good nuggets in, in these interviews. W- what were some of the highlights that you p- took away from them? Yeah, there's so much uh, so much there. It's actually kind of interesting because I don't know, like at this point, if I can detether the things that I already felt from the things that were imparted onto me during the interviews. Like part of it was to to capture what others were saying, right? But each interview as we went through, um, you know, I couldn't at least help like, taking something from what somebody else said and trying to like make sense of it. 
Um, but with that being said, there was um, a couple of instances where we, you know, every interview we asked the question, what, what is love? Uh, how, like, what are the other forms that love takes, whether it's for a family member or a friend, uh, love of an idea, love of, love of a place, love of a thing. And so to me, that was one of the things that stuck with me because a lot of people had articulated um, very human ideas and feelings of love onto uh, things and ideas and places, which I didn't previously like accept. But after hearing people's explanations of it um, and even listening to the re the recordings and, and editing all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's very obvious that those that those things are tangible, right? It's not just about the, the, the person person relationship. You can also have relationships and, and there may be context different, but the, the feelings, the expressions, those are the same. And uh, one thing that I really enjoyed, especially in the interview with your parents was the idea of the relationship being a whole other entity. Like it's mm. not just the other person or the other thing, but the relationship that you have with that thing. And I think uh, your brother also talked a little bit about relationship as well. And that kind of like fed it together. Yeah. I, there was so much to pull out of these conversations. And, and one of the things I really took away was from a conversation and a perspective that uh, is not very familiar or comfortable from my point of view. And that would be with Katie. Uh, she focused very much on the, what it's like to love the, the emotive side of it. And um, I'm, you know, much more uh, conceptual and, and think about the, the activity and, and the ethical kind of framework of love. But, you know, she reminded us there's a certain kind of joy that's generated and an energy that surrounds love. And, uh, you know, it's not just an exercise of ethical responsibility. It feels good to love and to be loved. And there's something important about how healthy and restorative that is. Uh, and so, you know, one of the questions I want to ask is, is there any kind of ethical requirement to towards like universal love? Ought we to love everyone or, or seek to have loving and kind relationships with everyone? Or is it okay if we have tribalism and polarization and this kind of segmenting into sides, but just psychologically and emotionally um, there's something I think about the, the joy and the comfort that comes in healthy, loving relationships seems like a more desirable outcome, a more desirable end than uh, existing in a place where I know that there's going to be conflict that is not going to be resolved and it makes me feel yucky and, and wanting to run away from society. Yeah, one thing that you're um, <clears throat> sparking for me, and I think, uh, at least I hope that I'm kind of capturing our friend Maps here correctly, is that... Um, the emotions and the feelings are important, right? And I wouldn't, I would, I would steer personally steer away from characterizing things as good or bad. I think that's where the polarization comes in, which I think mm. can be dangerous. Um, and but I liked what you said, characterizing it instead as healthy behaviors, right? Like conflict. Everybody articulated that conflict is healthy. Right. And it's mm. it's in the strategies that you have to deal with that conflict that allows you to be 
um, in one emotional space or another. If you don't have good strategies, uh, my dad and I think your mom kind of articulated this. It's like if you don't have good strategies, you know, expectations are such a way where you're going to behave a certain way because of how somebody reacts or what somebody does to you or, you know, you're walking through the woods and your path is closed or something like that. And you have to deal with that. Right. So you if you don't have good strategies in place, I should say, if you don't have healthy strategies in place, um, then you are going to be in a less healthy headspace because of it. And you might do destructive things on a physical side because Mm. of it. Um, But if you do have healthy strategies in place, you can kind of take a step back and reframe everything and think, is this ultimately good or bad or neutral and react in a a healthier, less destructive way. And I think that to me is where the, the, like I would say, based on what we've talked about, I think tribalism is okay, but the polarization is not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Tribalism to some extent is healthy because we have to, we have to connect with our communities, no matter what those communities are in certain ways. Um, And it's the polarization, the, the feeding into the same idea and essentially spiraling into some like logical tangent that may or may not make any sense. But when things don't meet the expectations of that polarized idea, you've now just, you know, what is the word when you're like in a, um, an echo chamber, right? Mm, Yeah. When When you're just in an echo chamber of similar ideas, now you don't even have strategies that help, you know, reframe the situation. It just, kind of spirals out of control. And I think that's where it becomes really dangerous. Yeah. It's interesting uh, to me. I feel like I took it as a default from the, my Christian upbringing and, and the universalist kind of message of this is for everyone and, and uh, love can conquer all evil or whatever. There's kind of this universalist or general perspective on love and that we ought to love everyone, love your neighbors yourself you know, there is no enemy or love your enemies, right? Uh, And then even when I kind of moved out of that religious mindset in my early philosophical influences with Immanuel Kant, you know, he emphasized cosmopolitanism, that humanity kind of bound together in this one-worldness, that that we all share uh, the same resources and the same planet and and have a responsibility to each other as free autonomous beings, uh, rational beings. And so there seemed to be, like, by default, uh, a yearning for universal peace. You know, can't we all uh, find a way to work out our problems together corporately and and um, live together peacefully? Uh, it can therefore be very deflationary, <laughs> deflating to to see a world of conflict and feel like, you know, maybe disillusioned that those goals are not realizable. What I'm curious about is, even if we, uh, well, let me just say this. One of the things that came out of several of our conversations was that some relationships are okay to end. Like, there are times where uh, the conflict is not something that, uh, the best resolution is to end the relationship. And so that was an interesting uh, lesson to kind of take away. But it made me think about this universalist kind of approach. What does it mean to seek uh, peace or love for all? Is it something we ought to pursue? Uh, or is it okay if we have, like you said, um, sides, you know, as long as we avoid some kind of toxic polarization? 
I think that um I think that what you're expressing is fair. I mean, like you said, everybody talked about conflict in a relationship in one way, shape, or form, and everybody expressed that it be okay that some relationships fade. Now, sometimes it's it's a very unhealthy and damaging situation, and you just have to do what you need to do for your own self-perseverance. Um, and some people expressed, you know, like the, uh, a few people might have talked about friendships, kind of waning, right? Like not that there's anything specifically that forces the friendship to be any less so, but it just, you know, slowly degrades over time. And maybe that can be recaptured at some point, but um, it's not, it's not unhealthy to let that happen. And I think even if we extend that to bigger um, communities and I'll be using the community in the sense of, of, um, similar ideas, but maybe there's some conflicting ideas within that, you know, within that same scape. Uh, so that can be friends and family. And actually a few people talked about how, you know, you don't even get along with your family all the time, right? You can have people who huh. are very different in thought from you. Um, and maybe there's some obligation to love or at least, uh, respect, uh, maybe you don't respect them, but you feel that you have to love them. I think my mom talked a little bit about that as well. And uh, so that maybe there's there's always going to be some tether in that relationship there. And I think that that to me was like the biggest thing that came out of the conversations about love was um, boiling it down, not just thinking about it in terms of a love relationship or a hate relationship or a non-existent, you know, either one of those things. But as a relationship itself, right? Like there's some sort of connection between you and other person or idea or a thing. And uh, maybe that connection will always be there. Um, mm. Before we started doing the interviews, I had seen some research that talked about, and I think you had also seen some similar research that talked about that like people can only maintain a certain, like a finite number of relationships in their lives. Because of that, you know, once they start introducing new relationships, other relationships disappear. And um, I, th I think the research was characterizing human-human relationships, right? Not necessarily love of outdoors or sports or anything like that. Sure, right. Um, um, and of course, the very credible site, Cracked, uh, had characterized <laughs> that same concept as the monkey sphere, which I just found very humorous. Um, but basically, you know, in this, in this, in this idea... Like, I think the number was sort of researched around, you'll have to correct me, but I think it was like 150 or somewhere in that ballpark. It might have been. It, I thought it was about 10 times that, like 1,200 or 1,400 or something like that. Okay. I don't remember the number. But, but it's still relatively finite. Like yeah, it's, it's still. A, it's a finite thing. And there's only certain numbers within each sphere of you know levels of the relationships whether it's like close-knit mm. friendships right you me my wife my parents my siblings um uh close friends and then like at some point it's like the people in the grocery store or you know the people on the road and here's where the the tribalism part comes into play right is like if that's true, if I only have capacity to handle a finite number of relationships, it's like, of course, like when somebody cuts me off in the road and they're not in my monkey sphere to use their 
to use Crack's language, of course I'm going to flip out at them because I don't even think of them as human at that point, right? To mm. me, they're a car. And it actually takes a few cognitive steps for a person to be able to say, oh, that's another person over there. And maybe they have you know, something going on in their life that this was their only cause of action right now. Uh, you and I talked with my dad about the scenario at the grocery store of uh, somebody writing a check Right. And right. If they had just stopped to say like to everybody in line, like, I'm sorry, this is my only means of payment right now. This is only going to take a minute. Everybody would immediately calm down except for maybe one jackass. <laughs> but, right. you know, without that context, we're all sitting in line. Like, can you hurry the F up? I got more important things to do. My life takes precedence over your life in this context. But as soon as like they humanize themselves, everybody's able to like take a step back and react to it. And I think that's one of the important parts of um, maybe that's not a tribalism thing. Maybe it's just like a, we are failing to make the human connections when it comes to these relationships that we have very unhealthy uh, habits towards. And um, that's where, you know, the polarization comes into play is like, this is, this isn't another human. This is something else. And so I'm just going to oppose that thing because I have no connection to it whatsoever. Yeah. A couple of things that emerged from our conversations that I think are very relevant to what you're sharing. Uh, one is, you know, that love requires concern for others' interests and well-being. Uh, the, the aspect of empathy uh, involved in kind of a loving relationship. And this expansion of the self, you know, it came mm. up in a couple of of episodes or interviews where you start with your concern and then you expand your circle of who you're concerned about, your family, your neighborhood, your nation, you know, and then the world. Um, that may not be sustainable psychologically and intuitively if the monkey right. sphere kind of theory is right. But what I'm curious about is if we can cultivate practices that allow us to make decisions, even if it's not an emotive or natural, maybe it's not an instinctive way to respond to a situation, but maybe we can just get into the practice of, okay, I know that there are other autonomous beings out there. So even if I'm not relating to this particular person as in my sphere of influence, what choices do I need to make that respects other people's autonomy and opens the door for other people to have concerns besides my own uh, and maybe incorporating that into my sphere of influence, even if I'm not directly relating to them in a concrete way. Uh, so maybe it's possible to not care for more than 1,500 people, but act as if I cared for more than 1,500 people. A couple of people talked about the uh, strategies that they use. So I'll just encourage everybody to watch those episodes in depth and see if you can tease out some of those strategies. Like I remember, uh, Kevin, this is one of my favorite tools. Um, and it's something that I would say most people have, not everybody the uh is empathy right understanding maybe recalling a situation where you were in it that one time and how you felt about it and then being able to use those feelings to kind of like understand how somebody else might be feeling in a similar situation i think empathy is kind of one of those those big tools that we have that allows us to make those human connections and obviously like on a smaller scale when you have friends and family and you're all sharing stories throughout your lives um empathy is a little easier to come by right but when it's for somebody that you don't know 
Um, if you practice it within those larger, uh, those uh, sorry, those stronger relationships, I think it becomes easier for you to apply it in the the less concrete relationships. At least that's something mm-hmm. that I that I try and work on all the time, and I find that it it helps make me calmer, especially when I'm in those highway situations and I'm getting run off the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot to and that's, that's good. I mean, empathy is uh, like an internal strategy. How can I imagine put myself in that scenario and, and figure out what my concerns would be in that situation and why I would feel the way I'd feel? Uh, I wonder if. You can also um, take the the practice of in in a conflict. My goal isn't just to get my way, right? If I'm if the goal is to treat the conflict as something uh, genuinely between us, it isn't just an obstacle for me. It's an obstacle for both of us. And so, a resolution to that obstacle isn't just for me to force my way through the obstacle uh, and and defeat the other person. But if I recognize like an autonomy and that they're motivated by some other concern, we might disagree uh, about a policy or a candidate or or a particular episode. We might even disagree about what we think the facts of that episode are. But maybe I can learn to identify with what's the underlying concern or motivation that would give that person a perspective with which I disagree. And is there something I can latch on to? You know, maybe maybe it's empathic uh, but maybe i can't maybe i can't imagine myself in their scenario but can i try to listen to what they're saying can i be attentive to how they're expressing themselves and what they seem to be motivated by to identify something that is a value that we share like safety or um sufficiency you know i don't want to go hungry (laughs) uh you know those kinds of it's not necessarily empathy from the inside it's more of a trying to find from the outside what might be something some common ground yeah this is definitely much harder to act on um it takes i would say it actually takes a lot more practice right but um language is important i remember Mm. reading this study a long time ago that uh, had said that when you remove political affiliations a lot of people actually agree on the same things and maybe this is where that that tribalism comes into play right because different uh, communities will use different language to express the same ideas. And if you don't understand those ideas in the other community's language, you might do something contrary to what your own belief system allows for. And so I think, um, you know, if we, at least for me, I always find it really challenging to take time to express myself and to process what others are others are trying to say, but if I can take that time, then I can see alignment or I can see disagreement. And I realize it's always like much closer than Mm. I had initially thought. Um, There's like an example a few weeks ago, a colleague of mine and I working on the same project, we have the same goals in mind, right? But um, when we don't understand each other, there's a little bit of conflict and it just takes a few, like, you know, a few minutes to massage the language so that the other person can understand what the first person was saying. And then we're able to move past it. Right. But it takes, it takes effort. Like you said, on both people's parts, it's not just that the, the message is sort of in between, but it also takes effort from both people to come to that understanding in the first place. And I think that's where uh, conflicts that might not be resolved come into play. And that's of course why we have jobs like ombudsman's and, uh, 
conflict resolution people <laughs> who helped. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think anything that you said is groundbreaking today, uh, but just in my headspace, like, I don't have to feel overwhelmed by the existence of conflict because I think we've, you know, seen and heard several times that conflict is going to happen even even in loving relationships. Love doesn't end conflict. Uh, and not all relationships are going to need to be maintained and are healthy to maintain. So uh, without this, like, absolute ethic of I must eliminate all conflict and love everyone, right, when I, when I take away that kind of, like, overstatement of, of the goal, uh, maybe I can be a little bit more patient with the conflicts that I do experience and, you know, respectfully approach the other person as an autonomous person, as another individual with concerns and interests, and say, what's going on here? Why, why are we in conflict? What's motivating it? And is it something that we want to resolve? Or is it okay if we just go our separate ways? Yeah, one, does the thing, uh, one thing that just sparked in my mind as you were um, kind of summarizing was that to me, with this conf the conversation about love, right, we recognize that everybody had expertise in that. And maybe that's something that we don't do on a broader sense. Mm. And um, when it's something as, I don't know, maybe like lighthearted or I don't want to say trivial because that's not true. Um, but something that there's like no skin in the game on, right? It's a little easier to accept other people's ideas. Like I'm only saying this because I learned a ton in those conversations, you know, not just with you about basketball, but with uh, all the people that we interviewed, friends and family, about their views of love. And we never went into any of the conversation like, well, this is our view of love and you got to kind of conform to it. Um, but if we, it's hard to do it in other contexts, but I think if we can um, accept that there is some experience to it, uh, experience behind the words, and that we have experience behind our words and, and both parties or, you know, both sides of the relationship um, accept that. I think that's at least a small step in the direction of resolving conflict. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful to be able to have these conversations with you where we can disagree without it feeling like conflict and that we so often do find uh, common ground in, in areas that we agree and can move forward on. Uh, thank you for instilling in, in me a, a hope for positive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to say that everybody doesn't get the chance to see when we really duke it out on here because I cut that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to stop recording and argue about three, the three-point <laughs> fiasco. <laughs> no, actually, um, that was always one of the things that I found most uh, beautiful about our relationship is like, um, both of us provide the space for the other person to share without criticism. And even if there's some ideas that might not be well-formed or um, might not be the best collected, there's opportunity for refinement. And like really in all of our lives, I think that uh, we should all be given that space to, to be able to change our ideas over time because we're not stationary beings ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want other people to allow me to make mistakes and learn from them. So I need to be gracious with others as well. <laughs>